Just this one agreement can change your whole life. Impeccability of the word can lead you to personal freedom, to a huge success and abundance. It can take away all fear and transform it into joy and love. Just imagine what you can create with impeccability of the word. With the impeccability of the word you can transcend the dream of fear and live a different life. You can live in heaven in the middle of thousands of people living in hell because you are immune to the hell. You can attain the kingdom of heaven from this one agreement. Be impeccable with your word. The next three agreements are really born from the first agreement. The second agreement is don't take anything personally. Whatever happens around you, don't take it personally. Using an earlier example, if I see you on the street and I say, hey, you are so stupid, without knowing you, it's not about you, it's about me. If you take it personally, then perhaps you believe you're stupid. Maybe you think to yourself, how does he know? Is he clairvoyant? Or can everybody see how stupid I am you take it personally because you agree with what? Ever was said, as soon as you agree, the poison goes through you, and you are trapped in the dream of hell. What causes you to be trapped is what we call personal importance. Personal importance, or taking things personally, is the maximum expression of selfishness because we make the assumption that everything is about me. During the period of our education, or our domestication, we learn to take everything personally. We think we are responsible for everything. Me, 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 always me. Nothing other people do is because of you. It is because of themselves. All people live in their own dream, in their own mind. They are in a completely different world from the one we live in. When we take something personally, we make the assumption that they know what is in our world, and we try to impose our world on their world. Even when a situation seems so personal, even if others insult you directly, it has nothing to do with you. What they say, what they do, and the opinions they give are according to the agreements they have in their own minds. Their point of view comes from all the programming they received during domestication. If someone gives you an opinion and says, hey, you look so fat, don't take it personally, because the truth is that this person is dealing with his or her own feelings, beliefs, and opinions. That person tried to send poison to you and if you take it personally, then you take that poison and it becomes yours. Taking things personally makes you easy prey for these predators, the black magicians. They can hook you easily with one little opinion and feed you what? ever poison they want, and because you take it personally, you eat it up. You eat all their emotional garbage, and now it becomes your garbage. But if you do not take it personally, you are immune in the middle of hell. Immunity to poison in the middle of hell is the gift of this agreement. When you take things personally, then you feel offended, and your reaction is to defend your beliefs and create conflicts. You make something big out of something so little, because you have the need to be right and make everybody else wrong. You also try hard to be right by giving them your own opinions. In the same way, whatever you feel and do is just a projection of your own personal dream, a reflection of your own agreement. What you say, what you do, and the opinions you have are according to the agreements you have made, and these opinions have nothing to do with me. It is not important to me what you think about me, and I don't take what you think personally. I don't take it personally when people say, Miguel, you are the best, and I also don't take it personally when they say, Miguel, you are the worst. I know that when you are happy you will tell me, Miguel, you are such an angel, but when you are mad at me you will say, Oh, Miguel, you are such a devil, you are so disgusting, how can you say those things either way? It does not affect me because I know what I am, I don't have the need to be accepted. I don't have the need to have someone tell me, Miguel, you are doing so good or how dare you do that. No, I don't take it personally. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, I know is your problem and not my problem. It is the way you see the world. It is nothing personal, because you are dealing with yourself, not with me. Others are going to have their own opinion according to their belief system, so nothing they think about me is really about me, but it is about them. You may even tell me, Miguel, what you are saying is hurting me, but it is not what I am saying that is hurting you. It is that you have wounds that I touch by what I have said. You are hurting yourself. There is no way that I can take this personally, not because I don't believe in you or don't trust you, but because because I know that you see the world with different eyes, with your eyes, you create an entire picture or movie in your mind, and in that picture you are the director, you are the producer, you are the main actor or actress, everyone else is a secondary actor or actress, it is your movie, the way you see that movie is according
according to the agreements you have made with life. Your point of view is something personal to you. It is no one's truth but yours. Then, if you get mad at me, I know you are dealing with yourself. I am the excuse for you to get mad. And you get mad because you are afraid. Because you are dealing with fear. If you are not afraid, there is no way you will get mad at me. If you are not afraid, there is no way you will hate me. If you are not afraid, there is no way you will be jealous or sad. If you live without fear, if you love, there is no place for any of those emotions. If you don't feel any of those, Emotions, it is logical that you will feel good. When you feel good, everything around you is good. When everything around you is great, everything makes you happy. You are loving everything that is around you, because you are loving yourself. Because you like the way you are, because you are content with you, because you are happy with your life. You are happy with the movie that you are producing, happy with your agreements with life. You are at peace, and you are happy. You live in that state of bliss where everything is so wonderful, and everything is so beautiful. In that state of bliss you are making love all the time with everything that you perceive. Whatever people do, feel, think, or say, don't take it personally. If they tell you how wonderful you are, they are not saying that because of you. You know you are wonderful. It is not necessary to believe other people who tell you that you are wonderful. Don't take anything personally, even if someone got a gun and shot you in the head, it was nothing personal, even at that extreme, even the opinions you have about yourself are not necessarily true, therefore, you don't need to take whatever you hear in your own mind personally, the mind has the ability to talk to itself, but it also has the ability to hear information that is available from other realms, sometimes you hear a voice in your mind, and you may wonder where it came from, this voice may have come from another reality in which there are living beings very similar to the human mind, the Toltecs called these beings allies, and Europe, Africa, and India they called them the gods, our mind also exists in the level of the gods, our mind also lives in that reality and can perceive that reality, the mind sees with the eyes and perceives this waking reality, but the mind also sees and perceives without the eyes, although the reason is hardly aware of this perception, the mind lives in more than one dimension, there may be times when you have ideas that don't originate in your mind, but you are perceiving them with your mind, you have the right to believe or not believe these voices and the right not to take what they say personally, we have a choice whether or not not to believe the voices we hear within our own minds, just as we have a choice of what to believe and agree with in the dream of the planet. The mind can also talk and listen to itself. The mind is divided as your body is divided, just as you can say, I have one hand, and I can shake my other hand and feel the other hand. The mind can talk to itself. Part of the mind is speaking, and the other part is listening. It is a big problem when a thousand parts of your mind are all speaking at the same time. This is called the mitote. Remember, the mitote can be compared to a huge marketplace where thousands of people are talking and bartering at the same time. Each one has different thoughts and feelings. Each one has a different point of view. The programming and the mind, all of those agreements we have made, are not necessarily compatible with each other. Every agreement is like a separate living being. It has its own personal and its own voice. There are conflicting agreements that go against other agreements and on and on until it becomes a big war in the mind. The mitote is the reason humans hardly know what they want, how they want it, or when they want it. They don't agree with themselves because there are parts of the mind that want one thing, and other parts that want exactly the opposite. Some part of the mind has objections to certain thoughts and actions, and another part supports the actions of the opposing thoughts. All these little living beings create inner conflict because they are alive and they each have a voice. Only by making an inventory of our agreements will we uncover all of the conflicts in the mind and eventually make order out of the chaos of the don't take anything personally because by taking things personally you set yourself up to suffer for nothing. Humans are addicted to suffering at different levels and to different degrees, and we support each other in maintaining these addictions. Humans agree to help each other suffer. If you have the need to be abused, you will find it easy to be abused by others. Likewise, if you are with people who need to suffer, something in you makes you abuse them. It is as if they have a note on their back that says, please kick me. They are asking for justification for their suffering. Their addiction to suffering is nothing but an agreement that is reinforced every day. Wherever you go you will find people lying to you. And... As your awareness grows, you will notice that you also lie to yourself. 
Do not expect people to tell you the truth because they also lied to themselves. You have to trust yourself and choose to believe or not to believe what someone says to you. When we really see other people as they are without taking it personally, we can never be hurt by what they say or do. Even if others lie to you, it is okay. They are lying to you because they are afraid. They are afraid you will discover that they are not perfect. It is painful to take that social mask off. If others say one thing, but do another, you are lying to yourself if you don't listen to their actions. But if you are truthful with yourself, you will save yourself a lot of emotional pain. Telling yourself the truth about it may hurt, but you don't need to be attached to the pain. Healing is on the way, and it's just a matter of time before things will be better for you. If someone is not treating you with love and respect, it is a gift if they walk away from you. If that person doesn't walk away, you will surely endure many years of suffering with him or her. Walking away may hurt for a while, but your heart will eventually heal. Then you can choose what you really want. You'll find that you don't need to trust others as much as you need to trust yourself to make the right choices. When you make it a strong habit not to take anything personally, you avoid many upsets in your life. Your anger, jealousy, and envy will disappear, and even your sadness will simply disappear if you don't take things personally. If you can make this second agreement a habit, you will find that nothing can put you back into hell. There is a huge amount of freedom that comes to you when you take nothing personally. You become immune to black magicians, and no spell can affect you regardless of how strong it may be. The whole world can gossip about you, and if you don't take it personally you are immune. Someone can intentionally send emotional poison, and if you don't take it personally, you will not eat it. When you don't take the emotional poison, it becomes even worse in the sender, but not in you. You can see how important this agreement is. Taking nothing personally helps you to break many habits and routines that trap you in the dream of hell and cause needless suffering. Just by practicing this second agreement you begin to break dozens of teeny, tiny agreements that cause you to suffer. And if you practice the first two agreements, you will break 75% of the teeny, tiny agreements that keep you trapped in hell. Write this agreement on paper, and put it on your refrigerator to remind you all the time. Don't take anything personally. As you make a habit of not taking anything personally, you won't need to place your trust in what others do or say. You will only need to trust yourself to make responsible choices. You are never responsible for the actions of others, you are only responsible for you. When you truly understand this, and refuse to take things personally, you can hardly be hurt by the careless comments or actions of others. If you keep this agreement, you can travel around the world with your heart completely open and no one can hurt you. You can say, I love you, without fear of being ridiculed or rejected. You can ask for what you need. You can say yes, or you can say no. Whatever you choose, without guilt or self-judgment. You can choose to follow your heart always. Then you can be in the middle of hell and still experience inner peace and happiness. You can stay in your state of bliss, and hell will not affect you at all. thousands of years ago, the Toltec were known throughout southern Mexico as women and men of knowledge. Anthropologists have spoken of the Toltec as a nation or a race, but, in fact, the Toltec were scientists and artists who formed a society to explore and conserve the spiritual knowledge and practices of the ancient ones. They came together as masters, nagels, and students at Teotihuacan, the ancient city of pyramids outside Mexico City known as the place where man becomes God, over the millennia. The Nagyals were forced to conceal the ancestral wisdom and maintain its existence in obscurity. European conquest, coupled with rampant misuse of personal power by a few of the apprentices, made it necessary to shield the knowledge from those who were not prepared to use it wisely or who might intentionally misuse it for personal gain. Fortunately, the esoteric Toltec knowledge was embodied and passed on through generations by different lineages of Nagyals. Though it remained veiled in secrecy for hundreds of years, ancient prophecies foretold the coming of 
an age when it would be necessary to return the wisdom to the people. Now, Don Miguel Ruiz, a Najwal from the Eagle Knight lineage, has been guided to share with us the powerful teachings of the Toltec. Toltec knowledge arises from the same essential unity of truth as all the sacred esoteric traditions found around the world. Though it is not a religion, it honors all the spiritual masters who have taught on the earth. While it does embrace spirit, it is most accurately described as a way of life, distinguished by the ready accessibility of happiness and love. Truth is not real, it's an illusion, but it looks real, love is real, it's the supreme expression of life. One Adam and Eve the story from a different point of view a beautiful and ancient legend that almost everyone has heard before is the story of Adam and Eve. It is one of my favorite stories because it explains with symbolism what I will try to explain with words. The story of Adam and Eve is based on absolute truth, though I never understood it as a child. It is one of the greatest teachings ever, but I believe that most people misunderstand it. Now I will tell you the story from a different point of view, perhaps from the same point of view as the one who created it. The story is about you and me. It's about us. It's about all of humanity because, as you know, humanity is only one. Living being, man, woman, we are only one. In this story, we call ourselves Adam and Eve, and we're the original humans. The story begins when we were innocent, before we closed our spiritual eyes, which means thousands of years ago. We used to live in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, which was heaven on earth. Heaven exists when our spiritual eyes are open. It is a place of peace and joy, freedom and eternal love. For us, Adam and Eve, everything was about love. We loved and respected one another, and we lived in perfect harmony with all of creation. Our relationship with God, our Creator, was a perfect communion of love, which means that we communed with God all of the time, and God communed with us. It was inconceivable to be afraid of God, the one who created us. Our Creator was the God of love and justice, and we put our faith and trust in God. God gave us complete freedom, and we used our free will to love and enjoy all of creation. Life was beautiful in paradise. The original humans saw everything through the eyes of truth, the way it is, and we loved it. That is the way we used to be, and it was effortless. Well, the legend says that in the middle of paradise stood two trees. One was the tree of life, which gave life to everything in existence, and the other was the tree of death, better known as the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge was a beautiful tree with juicy fruit, very tempting, and God told us, don't go near the tree of knowledge. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you may die. Guy, I still laugh and want to cry when I watch that clip. Lorene, so are you staying in Calgary for the summer? But this was the Prince of Lies talking. No doubt about it, he was lying, and we were seduced by the lies. We believed the fallen angel story, and that was our big mistake. That is what it means to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. We agreed and took his word as the truth. We believed the lies, we put our faith in them. When we bit into the apple, we ate the lies that came with knowledge. 
what happens when we eat a lie? We believe it, and boom. Now that lie lives in us. This is easy to understand. The mind is very fertile ground for concepts, ideas, and opinions. If someone tells us a lie and we believe it that lie takes root in our mind. There it can grow big and strong, just like a tree. One little lie can be very contagious, spreading its seeds from person to person when we share it with others. Well, the lies went into our mind and reproduced a whole tree of knowledge inside our head, which is everything that we know. But what is it that we know? Mostly lies. The tree of knowledge is a powerful symbol. The legend says that whoever eats the fruit of the tree of knowledge will have knowledge of good and evil, they will know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is beautiful and what is ugly. They will gather all of that knowledge and begin to judge. Well, that is what happened in our head. And the symbolism of the apple is that every concept, every lie, is just like a fruit with a seed. When we place a fruit in fertile ground, the seed of the fruit creates another tree. That tree reproduces more fruit, and by the fruit, we know the tree. Now each of us has our own tree of knowledge, which is our personal belief system. The tree of knowledge is the structure of everything we believe. Every concept, every opinion, forms a little branch of that tree, until we end up with the whole tree of knowledge. As soon as that tree is alive in our mind, we hear the fallen angel talking very loudly. The same fallen angel, the prince of lies, lives in our mind. From the Toltec point of view, a parasite was living in the fruit, we ate the fruit, and the parasite went inside us. Now the parasite is living our life. The storyteller, the parasite, is born inside our head, and it survives inside our head because we feed it with our faith. The story of Adam and Eve explains how humanity fell from the dream of heaven into the dream of hell, it tells us how we became the way we are right now. The story usually says that we took just one bite of the apple, but this is not true. I think we ate all of the fruit of that tree, and we became sick from being so full of lies and emotional poison. Humans ate every concept, every opinion, and every story the liar told us, even though it was not the truth. In that moment, our spiritual eyes closed, and we could no longer see the world with the eyes of truth. We began to perceive the world in a completely different way, and everything changed for us. With the tree of knowledge in our head, we could only perceive knowledge, we could only perceive lies. We no longer lived in heaven because lies have no place in heaven. This is how humans lost paradise, we dream lies. We create the whole dream of humanity, individually and collectively, based on lies. Before humans ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge, we lived in truth. We spoke only truth. We lived in love without any fear. After we ate the fruit, we felt guilt and shame. We judged ourselves as no longer good enough, and of course we judged others the same way. With judgment came polarity, separation, and the need to punish and be punished. For the first time we were no longer kind to one another, we no longer respected and loved all of God's creation. Now we suffered, and we began to blame ourselves, to blame other people, and even to blame God. We no longer believed that God was loving and just, we believed that God would punish and hurt us. It was a lie. It was not true, but we believed it, and we separated from God. From this point, it is easy to understand what is meant by original sin. The original sin is not sex. No, that is another lie. The original sin is to believe the lies that come from the snake in the tree, the fallen angel. The meaning of the word sin is to go against. Everything that we say, everything that we do against ourselves is a sin. To sin is not about blame or moral condemnation. 
To sin is to believe in lies, and to use those lies against ourselves. From that first sin, that original lie, all of our other sins are born. How many lies do you hear in your head? Who is judging, who is talking, who is the one with all the opinions? If you don't love, it's because that voice doesn't let you love. If you don't enjoy your life, it's because that voice doesn't let you enjoy it. And not only that, the liar in our head has the need to express all those lies, to tell its story. We share the fruit of our tree with others, and because others have the same kind of liar, together our lies become more powerful. Now we can hate more. Now we can hurt more. Now we can defend our lies and become fanatics following our lies. Humans even destroy one another in the name of these lies. Who is living our life? Who is making our choices? I think the answer is obvious. Now we know what is going on in our head. The storyteller is there, it is that voice in our head. That voice is talking and talking and talking, and we are listening and listening and believing every word. That voice never stops judging. It judges whatever we do, whatever we don't do, whatever we feel, whatever we don't feel, whatever everybody else does. It is constantly gossiping in our head, and what comes out of that voice? Lies, mostly lies. These lies hook our attention, and all we can see are lies. That is the reason we don't see the reality of heaven that exists in this same place, at this same time. Heaven belongs to us because we are the children of heaven. The voice in is obvious. Now we know what is going on in our head. The storyteller is there, it is that voice in our head. The storyteller, now we know what is, I think the answer is, who is making our choice, who is living our, humans even destroy one another in the name of these lies. Who is living our life? Who is making our choices? I think the answer is obvious. Now we know what is going on in our head. The storyteller is there, it is that voice in our head. That voice is talking and talking and talking, and we are listening and listening and believing every word. That voice never stops judging. It judges whatever we do, whatever we don't do, whatever we feel, whatever we don't feel, whatever everybody else does. It is constantly gossiping in our head, and what comes out of that voice? Lies, mostly lies. These lies hook our attention, and all we can see are lies. That is the reason we don't see the reality of heaven that exists in this same place, at this same time. Heaven belongs to us because we are the children of heaven. The voice in our head doesn't belong to us. When we are born, we don't have that voice. The voice in our head comes after we learn, first the language, then different points of view, then all the judgments and lies. Even when we first learn to speak, we speak only truth. But little by little, the whole tree of knowledge is programmed into our head, and the big liar eventually takes over the dream of our life. You see, in the moment when we separated from God, we started to search for God. For the first time, we started to search for the love we believed we didn't have. We started to search for justice, for beauty, for truth. The search began thousands of years ago, and humans are still searching for the paradise we lost. We are searching for the way we used to be before we believed in lies, authentic, truthful, loving, joyful. The truth is we are searching for ourself. You know, it was true what God told us, if we eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, we may die. We did eat it, and we are dead. We are dead because our authentic self is no longer there. The one who is living our life is the big liar, the prince of lies, that voice in our head. You can call it thinking. I call it the voice of knowledge points to ponder the mind is fertile ground for concepts, ideas, and opinions. 
If someone tells us a lie and we believe it, that lie takes root in our mind and can grow big and mind is fertile ground for concepts, ideas, and opinions. If someone tells us a lie and we believe it, that lie takes root in our mind and can grow big and strong, like a tree. One little lie can be very contagious, spreading its seeds from person to person when we share it with others. Knowledge goes into our mind and reproduces a structure inside our head, which is everything that we know. With all that knowledge in our head, we only perceive what we believe, we only perceive our own knowledge. And what is it that we know? Mostly lies. Once the tree of knowledge is alive in our mind, we hear the fallen angel talking very loudly. That voice never stops judging. It tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is beautiful and what is ugly. The storyteller is born inside our head, and survives inside our head because we feed it with our faith. Heaven exists when our spiritual eyes are open, when we perceive the world through the eyes of truth. Once lies hook our attention, our spiritual eyes are closed. We fall from the dream of heaven and begin to live the dream of hell. Heaven belongs to us because we are the children of heaven. The voice in our head doesn't belong to us. When we are born, we don't have that voice. Thinking comes after we learn, first the language, then different points of view, then all the judgments and lies. The voice of knowledge comes as we accumulate knowledge. Before we eat the lies that come with knowledge, we live in truth. We speak only truth. We live in love without any fear. Once we have knowledge, we judge ourselves as no longer good enough, we feel guilt, shame, and the need to be punished. We begin to dream lies, and we separate from God. In the moment when we separate from God, we begin to search for God, for the love we believe we don't have. Humans are continually searching for justice, for beauty, for truth, for the way we used to be before we believed in lies. We are searching for our authentic self. Two-way visit with grandfather a simple truth is discovered I consider myself lucky because I grew up learning from an ancient tradition known as the Toltec. My mother was a great healer, and to witness miracles was nothing extraordinary because I didn't know anything else. I grew up believing that anything is possible, but what I learned about the Toltec was full of superstition and mythology. I remember seeing superstitions everywhere, and as a teenager, I began to rebel against all of the lies that come from this tradition. I learned to challenge everything until certain experiences opened my eyes to the truth. Then I knew that what I had learned from the ancient Toltec was no longer a theory. I knew, but I could not explain it with words. In this book, one want to tell you about some of the experiences that changed my point of view completely. With each experience, I realized something that was always obvious but that I had never seen before. Perhaps the way I will relate these stories to you is not exactly the way they happened, but it's the way I perceive them and try to explain them to myself. Maybe you have had similar moments when you realized, as I did, that most of what we believe is not the truth. Opportunities to perceive the truth always come to us, and my life has been full of these opportunities. Many of them I just let go, but others opened my spiritual eyes and made the transformation in my life possible. One of these opportunities came from a visit with my grandfather when I was a teenager in college. My grandfather was what they call an old Nawal, which is like a shaman. He was close to 90 years old, and people used. To visit with him just to learn, just to be around him. 
grandfather had been teaching me since I was a child, and I had worked hard all my youth to be good enough to earn his respect. Well, this was a time when I was pretending to be an intellectual, and I wanted to impress my grandfather with my opinions about everything I was learning in school. I was ready to show the one who had been the biggest influence on my life how smart I was. Good luck. I went to my grandfather's house, and he received me the way he always did, with a big smile, with enormous love. I started to tell him my point of view about all of the injustice in the world, about the poverty, about the violence, about the conflict between good and what I then called evil. My grandfather was very patient, and he listened very carefully to everything I said. This encouraged me to speak even more, just to impress him. At a certain point, I saw a little smile on his face. Who? I knew something was coming. I was not impressing him at all. I thought, oh, he's making fun of me. He noticed my reaction and looked directly into my eyes. Well, Miguel, those are very good theories that you've learned, he said. But they are only theories. Everything you have told me is just a story. It doesn't mean that it's true. Of course I felt a little badly about this. I took it personally right away and I tried to defend my point of view. But it was too late because now my grandfather started to talk. He looked at me with a big smile and said, you know, most people around the world believe that there is a great conflict in the universe, a conflict between good and evil. Well, this is not true. It's true that there is a conflict, but the conflict only exists in the human mind, not in the universe. It's not true for the plants or the animals. It's not true for the stars or the trees, or for the rest of nature. It's only true for humans. And the conflict in the human mind is not really between good and evil. The real conflict in our mind is between the truth and what is not the truth, between the truth and lies. Good and evil are just the result of that conflict. The result of believing in the truth is goodness, love, happiness. When you live your life in truth, you feel good, and your life is wonderful. The result of believing in lies and defending those lies creates what you call evil, it creates fanaticism. Believing in lies creates all of the injustice, all of the violence and abuse, all of the suffering, not only in society but also in the individual. The universe is as simple as it is or it is not, but humans complicate everything. Hem. What my grandfather told me was logical, and I understood what he was saying, but I didn't believe him. How could all of the conflict in the world, all of the war, violence, and injustice be the result of something so simple? Surely it must be more complicated than that. Grandfather went on to say, Miguel, all of the drama you suffer in your personal life is the result of believing in lies, mainly about yourself. And the first lie you believe is you are not, you are not the way you should be, you are not good enough, you are not perfect. We are born perfect, we grow up perfect, and we will die perfect, because only perfection exists. But the big lie is that you are not perfect, that nobody is perfect. So you start to search for an image of perfection that you can never become. You will never reach perfection in that way because that image is false. It's a lie, but you invest your faith in that lie, and then you build a whole structure of lies to support it. In that moment I didn't realize that my grandfather had given me a great opportunity, something as simple as having the awareness that every drama in my life, all of the suffering in my life, was because I believed in lies. Though I wanted to believe what my grandfather said, I only pretended to believe him. And it was so logical that I said, oh yes, grandfather, you're right. I agree with you. But I was lying. There were too many lies inside my head to accept something as simple as the truth. 
Then my grandfather looked at me very kindly and said, Miguel, I can see that you are trying hard to impress me, to prove that you are good enough for me. And you have the need to do this because you are not good enough for yourself. Ouch. He got me right there. I didn't know why, but I felt as if he had caught me in a lie. I never realized that my grandfather knew about my insecurities, about the self-judgment and self-rejection, about the guilt and shame I felt. How did he know that I was pretending to be what I was not? Grandfather was smiling again as he told me, Miguel, everything you've learned in school, everything you know about life, is only knowledge. How can you know if what you've learned is the truth or not? How can you know if what you believe about yourself is the truth? At that point I reacted and said, of course I know the truth about myself. I live with myself every day. I know what I am. Grandfather really laughed at that and said, the truth is that you have no idea what you really are, but you know what you are not. You have been practicing what you are not for so long, that you really believe your image. Everything you've learned in school, everything you know about life, is only knowledge. How can you know if what you've learned is the truth or not? How can you know if what you believe about yourself is the truth? At that point I reacted and said, of course I know the truth about myself. I live with myself every day. I know what I am. Grandfather really laughed at that and said, the truth is that you have no idea what you really are, but you know what you are not. You have been practicing what you are not for so long, that you really believe your image is what you are. Your faith is invested in all those lies you believe about yourself. It's a story, but it's not the truth. Miguel, what makes you powerful is your faith. Faith is the power of creation that all humans have, and it doesn't have anything to do with religion. Faith is the result of an agreement. When you agree to believe in something without a doubt, you invest your faith. If you have no doubt about what you believe, then for you it is truth, even though it may really be a lie. Your faith is so powerful that if you believe you are not good enough, you are not good enough. If you believe you will fail, you will fail, because that is the power and magic of your faith. As I said before, you suffer because you believe lies. It's that simple. Humanity is the way it is because collectively we believe so many lies. Humans have carried the lies for thousands of years, and we react to the lies with hate, with anger, with violence. But they're only lies. I was wondering, then how can we know the truth? Before I could ask this question out loud, my grandfather answered it, the truth needs to be experienced. Humans have the need to describe, to explain, to express what we perceive, but when we experience the truth, there are no words to describe it. Whoever claims, this is the truth, is lying without even knowing it. We can perceive truth with our feelings, but as soon as we try to describe it with words, we distort it, and it's no longer the truth. It's our story. It's a projection based on reality that is only true for us, but still we try to put our experience into words, and this is something wonderful, really. It's the greatest art of every human. Grandfather could see that what he had just said wasn't clear to me. Miguel, if you are an artist, a painter, you try to express what you perceive through your art. What you paint may not be exactly what you perceive, but it is close enough to remind you of what you perceive. Well, imagine that you are very lucky and you are Pablo Picasso's friend. And because Picasso loves you, he decides to make a portrait of you. You pose for Picasso, and after many days, he finally shows you your portrait. You will say, this is not me, and Picasso will say, of course it is you. This is how I see you. 
For Picasso, this is true, he is expressing what he is perceiving. But you will say, I don't look like that. Well, every human is the same as Picasso. Every human is a storyteller, which means that every human is an artist. What Picasso does with colors, we do with words. Humans witness life happening inside us and all around us, and we use words to make a portrait of what we witness. Humans make up stories about everything we perceive, and just like Picasso we distort the truth, but for us, it is the truth. Of course, the way we express our distortion could be something other people enjoy. Picasso's art is highly valued by many people. Whether by romantic love or by loss, given how ubiquitous heartbreakers, it is remarkable that we know so little about how to heal it. Even more remarkable, given how personally familiar we are with the emotional devastation it causes, is that our societal attitudes toward heartbreak are so downright dismissive. We tend to associate having a broken heart with the storm of heartbreak strikes like a hurricane. At times, we are alerted to its arrival by an early forecast of ominous signs. Often it catches us by surprise, a conversation that takes a startling turn or an unexpected text as we busily go about our day. Either way, when the storm touches down, it lands hard, the wind batters our sense of security and certainty, the icy rain soaks every nook and cranny of our being, from the part of us that is a capable professional to the part that's a devoted parent or a passionate artist or a weekend partier, we squint at the world through glasses tinted by emotional pain, fearing the dark clouds will never break, unlike real hurricanes, heartbreak has no eye, it offers no reprieve and it leaves no place to take shelter, we thus remain exposed, drenched, and miserable until it passes, these feelings and perceptions are familiar to most, virtually every one of us has or will have our heart broken at some point in our lives, whether by romantic love or by loss, given how ubiquitous heartbreak is, it is remarkable that we know so little about how to heal it, even more remarkable, given how personally familiar we are with the emotional devastation it causes, is that our societal attitudes toward heartbreak are so downright dismissive. We tend to associate having a broken heart with something that happens to the young, the naive, or the inexperienced, teenagers and young adults who have not yet felt the full weight of adult responsibilities on their shoulders. Real adults are supposed to handle such occurrences as they might any other setback or disappointment, with maturity and stoicism. Heartbreak resides firmly in the category of baseball and spilled milk. It is simply not something one cries over, or so we believe, that is until our own heart gets broken. For then, we will swiftly be reminded that heartbreak hurts just as much later in life as it did when we were teenagers. It evokes just as much paralyzing emotional pain and it impairs our thinking and functioning in all the same ways. We will also have to confront the unfortunate reality that unlike with our teenage experiences we had received in high school, the understanding, support, and compassion are likely to be noticeably absent, mirroring the lack of seriousness with which we regard it. The term heartbreak has itself become diluted. We declare ourselves heartbroken when our favorite sports team loses an important game, when the crystal vase we inherited from our grandmother slips out of our hands and shatters on the floor, or when we discover the heroine in our favorite novel fails to choose the supernatural teen suitor we hoped she would. As disappointing and upsetting as such events are, none of us would confuse them with the anguish we feel when our hearts are truly broken. Real heartbreak is unmistakable, from the intensity of the emotional pain it causes, 
to the totality with which it takes over our mind and even our body. We think of nothing else, we feel nothing else, we care about nothing else, and often, we feel as if we can do nothing else except sit with the immense pain, grief, and loss. Broken hearts come in many forms, but in this book, I have chosen to focus on two types of heartbreak that have much in common, romantic heartbreak and the heartbreak that ensues from the loss of a cherished pet. I have done so because these experiences involve a complication that is particularly difficult for the broken-hearted, they are accompanied by severe grief responses yet they are not deemed as important by society as, let's say, a formal divorce or the loss of a first-degree relative. As a result, we are often deprived of the recognition, support, and compassion afforded those whose heartbreak is considered significant.